Hello and greetings. Welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. So thrilled once again to have you with us wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We want to thank our sponsor as well, LifeReimagined.org slash happy. That website is filled with all kinds of things for you to try out and use as you reach for your peak happiness. If you would like to awaken the power of your dreams, you'll have to awaken to happiness. So what's next? Well, find out more at lifereimagined.org slash happy. In this series of podcasts as part of the Live Happy Now podcast, we're asking you, what if the secret to lasting happiness was simple? Well, in Live Happy's upcoming book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, you can discover how easy everyday acts lead to lifelong joy and fulfillment, and that's proven by the latest research in positive psychology. Each chapter organized around key components of creating a happy life, and there are real-life inspirational stories, 40 of them, in fact, from regular people and celebrities to help you along the way. And we'd love for you to pre-order the book, and you can do so before March 15th. You're going to get some bonus gifts. Yeah, absolutely free, including exclusive interviews, uh, illustrated posters, a free issue of Live Happy Magazine Digital Edition, and uh, five exclusive stories from people who are practicing happiness and creating joyful lives. You can go to choosingjoybook.com for more information on that. In this particular episode of Live Happy Now, Deborah Heiss and I spoke with Alistair Mook on one of 10 practices for choosing joy. Meaning. Now, Alistair is a 2013 Grammy nominee, two-time Parents' Choice gold medal winner, and has twice been voted by the Fids and Camley Industry Critics Poll among the top three albums of the year. Long one of Boston's premier folk artists, Alistair turned his attention to family music after the birth of his twin daughters in 2006. Now, the New York Times calls him a Tom Waits for kids. Interesting assessment. And the Boston Globe declares that in the footsteps of Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie, Alistair Mook makes real kids music that parents can actually enjoy. Welcome to Live Happy Now, Alistair Mook. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have you on the show. For those of you who don't know, Alistair is also a story in our new book, Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. And we want to talk to him a little bit about that story, but I also just want to talk to him about what makes him happy and, and where he is in the world right now and everything that's going on. So to give people a little bit of background, tell us what it is that you do. Uh, I'm a musician. I'm a, a songwriter. I gravitated towards the music of Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and um, a certain kind of social action section of the music world. And I wrote songs for adults for years, and I and I toured all around Europe. And then my daughters were born, I twin girls, in 2006. And at that point, I started focusing more on music for families, for kids, but especially for kids and parents. That was always kind of the, the take for me. Well, for those of you who haven't heard his music, it very much is for the whole family. He's got a sound that is a very pleasing to adult ears. It's it's not the wheels on the bus go round and round <laughs> variety. <laughs> Having three kids under 10, my youngest turning four next week, I've heard enough of that. And I honestly say that your music is a is different. It's it's a lot of fun. How did you come to be a kids musician or a family musician? I know you had daughters, but what were you doing before then, and what kind of led you in that direction? I, I was kind of an anachronistic kid when I, I got into music. You know, through Dylan, John Prine was a big influence on me. But then I kind of went backwards, and I and I got into Woody, and I got into um, people like Mississippi John Hurt and Lead Belly. Um, and the interesting thing is that all. That generation of musicians and that 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 anyway niche of of folk and blues musicians, they all made music for kids and adults. Um, 
So some of the some of the great recordings we have for kids were were made by these musicians who mostly, you know, traveled in adult circles, whatever you want to call it. But um, Lead Belly, Brownie McGee, um, and Sonny Terry, and and Mississippi John Hurt was one that had a, a special influence on me. But also Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger, they all they all wrote or collected songs for kids, and they didn't draw such strong lines. I think in that generation between different audience, you know, I mean, we're all people and music affects us all. Um, it's powerful stuff. So to ignore the kind of younger part of our audience um, is in some ways it's kind of short-sighted. And I think a kind of unfortunate thing happened at some point in our musical development where things got more and more segmented and we ended up with a kind of music for kids that was kind of infantilized yeah. them. Is that the right word? Infantilize yeah. them? Yeah. <laughs> sure. that, 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 that's the right word. It'll work. Them or treat them like children. But I hopefully we treat them like children. But, you know, but I, I always felt because of the music that I was listening to kind of going back in time that, you know, that, that you could speak at a higher level to kids. And, and, and then when I, when I started recording music, I found out that there were musicians around like Dan Zanes and Elizabeth Mitchell who were already there doing this kind of uh, music. For kids and and you know doing smart, intelligent, sophisticated music um, that parents should be able to listen to too. So that was kind of how I got into it. You made a transition at one point in your career from playing in front of adults to playing for kids. How was that? Those two experiences different? Uh, I became a much better performer very quickly <laughs> <laughs> because kids don't suffer fools for a second. So. Um, I learned to tighten up my act on stage and, uh, you know, as a folk blues guy, I was always kind of a foot stomping, sit in your chair kind of guy. I learned to stand up because sitting down wasn't going to cut it anymore. You really have to bring some energy when you play for kids. But, but other than that, I mean, the thing that kind of surprised me is that I was able to transfer over a lot of, a lot of the kind of traditional material I did, I've always done songs by heroes of mine. They translate well. And and sometimes I choose songs that you might not normally think to do for kids, but but they work, you know. And um, I find that kids respond to musicality, you know, and, and they will definitely rise to what you put in front of them. So if you put wheels on the bus in front of them, I, and there's nothing wrong with wheels on the bus, <laughs> by the way. It's uh, I've learned... I always hated songs like Wheels on the Bus, but I've learned to like see the value of a song like that, especially for little kids. But it, it, the point is that that doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all for kids. You can give them choices. So for some kids, that's going to cut it, and Barney is enough. And for <laughs> other kids and other families, um, they can listen to something that's a lot different than that, um, and that can work for them. Too. I mean, one of the clues is that I, I, I look around and most of the most of my friends aren't playing kids' music for their kids at all. They're playing Beatles and they're playing, you know, they're they're playing basically anything that's not like out and out screaming and cursing in your ear. Um, and and I have all of these friends. I mean, I've, I have a weird collection of friends, but I have a lot of, <laughs> of, of friends with a weird collection of kids who are into like John Johnny Cash and Sam Cooke and. You know, all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, kids will grab onto 
stuff that they grab onto. And, and part of the, you know, it's, it's us, we're the parents, so we get to choose what we want to put in front of them for them to latch onto. Well, yeah, three-year-old's current favorite uh, band is Kiss. Um, so uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're a little guilty. Um, and not that I we listen. It. Well, we don't listen to it, but apparently there's a Scooby-Doo Kiss special, and so she fell in love with Kiss. And then all three of my children can both whip and Nene, and I'm not quite oh, sure what man. that is yet. So it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My kids are now at that age, too. So, yeah, we've they've now gone off the – they're now off the reservation. We, we're no longer in charge, and – um, Katy Perry and, and Taylor Swift loom large in our house. So <laughs> I, I abdicate at this point. I'm, I'm going to wait for them to rediscover their taste when they get older, and I'll be there waiting for them. Well, I do, I do make mine play Beatles rock band, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only rock band we allow in our house is Beatles rock band. So. There you go. You know, one thing that uh, really fascinates me reading your story and, and having done some work in the past uh, in in that space with uh, St. Jude is your work in the 2013 the album Singing Our Way Through Songs for the World's Bravest Kids and this is a very personal thing for you as many songs for songwriters are very personal but this one on an incredibly deep level tell us a little bit about that album and how it came to be uh, so I had made a couple of albums for, for families um, and then in 2011, um, I'm getting my dates mixed up. That's kind of a happy accident, actually, because it means that we've moved further away from this to the point, because these dates were all locked in my mind for a long time. Right. In 2011, in 2011, one of my twin girls was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. And um, so we went down a rabbit hole, which is a, a rabbit hole that um, most people shouldn't have to go down and don't have to go down um and it's it's one that you never see coming and uh so there we were and and all of a sudden we had a kid with cancer and uh so it was a big black hole in our lives for um for weeks as we were processing what this meant and uh, you know, we were obviously focused on her, but we, it was also, it, it changes everything. You know, we mm-hmm. became part of this world that we never, you know, you have sympathy for families that have kids with cancer, and but you don't think I'm one of them. And then there we were, and all of a sudden we were in this other world. You know, picking up a guitar, playing music was the last thing that I felt like doing. And I didn't for the first couple of weeks while she was in the hospital. And then it's amazing how you adapt and, and things that are unfathomable become routine pretty quickly. And, and so now we're in the routine of, um, of being a family with cancer and it's boring. That's the first thing. It's horrible. The next thing is it's really boring because you're stuck in a hospital and there's not a lot to do. And, and my daughter was on a ward that didn't have a lot of kids and, and they had a music therapist who was on hiatus. So, um, so we didn't have access to that. And so I went home and got my guitar and, and brought it in and she and I started singing songs and, um, it was, it was a powerful thing for me to see how the songs, how singing affected her mood. I mean, it really kind of put me back in touch with wh- what it was that drew me to music in the first place. You, you, as a professional musician, you lose track of, 
you know, just what a magical thing it is. It becomes the way you make your living. And then if you're lucky, sometimes you have moments that remind you why you get into something you feel passionate about in the first place. And everything kind of went from there. We started writing songs together. And then the songs turned out a lot better than I thought they might. I mean, we wrote them basically as therapy for ourselves, for each other, my daughter and I, and, and for the rest of the family. But they kind of came out and I started to think, you know, these songs would, I, I don't, there don't seem to be songs like this out there, like from the inside, what, what, it, what it is to have cancer from the inside perspective. And, and I felt like what we were doing wasn't morose or kind of pulling people down. I felt like maybe there was something in there that, that could be useful. So um, it, one thing led to another and we, and, and of course, Cleo's treatment, you know, moved on and, and you get into it, you have a life, um, even with cancer and cancer treatment. And and, uh, and we made an album. We, we had a fundraising campaign that raised a, a good amount of money that allowed me to do things the way I wanted to do. And, um, and we recorded this album, and we started sending it to hospitals around the country. For those of you who, uh, who aren't familiar with the album, they sent it to uh, children with cancer for free in hospitals where they're being treated. And then people buy them. They use that money to distribute those albums to them. That's how they fund it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the idea was sort of was slightly confusing at first to some hospitals, I think, because generally when anyone had done this sort of thing before, the idea was you do an album that's a fundraiser to raise money for <clears throat> research or for something, and the music may or may not have much to do with the actual subject matter. But in this case, the, the actual, what we were giving was the album itself. It was a collection of songs about living with hardship and living with disease and, and what that's like and some of the sort of surprising joys that can sort of manifest themselves in the middle of what you would never expect um, would lead to happiness. And so after some initial kind of confusion I think by the by the hospitals who are very protective of what and they should be of what they pass on to um, their patients and stuff. Um, we started to get some kind of crazy press. Um, all of a sudden, <clears throat> I was asked to go on uh, Katie Couric's web show, and that led to a appearance on the Good Morning America web show and a lot of people watch these shows and and i started getting requests for the albums from hospitals all over the country and from patients and then we were nominated for a grammy award and i mean it was a very surreal year on top of an already surreal experience but we got a, we got a huge amount of satisfaction out of it and i think it was it, it it was healthy for our family in so many ways because it it allowed us to turn around the feeling um that rather than feeling that we were sort of victimized by this thing that came and bit us on the ass, we were being proactive and we were able to turn around and give something back. And then I started, you know, I started looking around and I saw that there were actually a lot of parents in the cancer community that were doing their own version. You know, I, I so this is what I know how to do. I'm a musician. And so I took the tools that, that I have to, to try to turn this around and create something out of it. But I saw parents that were creating foundations, um, sometimes in memory of their children, sometimes in collaboration with their kids, focused on specific things that people might not realize that that kids facing illness um, need and want. Um, so they were bringing their, what, what they had learned and, and 
using Matt to pay forward, um, you know, the, the gratitude that they felt towards doctors and towards the community around them. And so it was an incredible, I, it, it was an experience that I never sort of could imagine ahead of time. And it's certainly not an experience that I would ever wish upon anybody or upon our family either, but um, it was eye opening what, what can kind of come out of some pretty horrific stuff. I can, I can only imagine I've, I've, I've never had to deal with it on a, on a close level, but I, I would imagine that this type of music, and you mentioned that it helped you and your daughter just to, to, to sing other songs and then to, to the write the songs about your experiences. What has the response been from people who have heard the music and maybe have gone through something similar? Is it, is it something that can lift their move or, or help them, uh, help them uh, move on with their situations? There, there were two songs on the album that really focused more specifically on cancer and the doctor experience, and one was the song When I Get Bald. There was another song called B-R-A-V-E, which is about kind of the, the from a young kid's perspective of, 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 you know, spending time with doctors and all the kind of sharp, pointy things that they have in their hands and want to put into you and all that stuff. I mean, kids, I think kids experience um, this kind of medical trauma in a whole different way than adults do. There's, there's not a lot of why me and there's not a lot of... Uh, you know, what if this, it's more the kind of immediate uncomfortableness or the immediate pain that's there and the fear of doctors and the fear of needles and those things, it looms really large in young kids' minds. It did for my daughter. So we, we wanted to grapple with that. So that song in particular and the bald song have gotten a lot of response. I want to make sure that I ask you this. I know our listeners are probably wondering, how's your daughter doing now? Yeah, she's doing, she's doing great. And I, I should have said that at the beginning, but we're um, we're one of many very lucky families that uh, you know. I, I think you never you never know for sure where you stand. It, leukemia, in particular, is a very sneaky form of cancer. It it uh, it's kind of everywhere at once in your body. It's not like a solid tumor, and so it goes away. But then you never really know if it's gone completely away. But we're now a year and a half. Uh, finished with the treatment protocol. Uh, so that means a year and a half of, of her really being getting back to being a normal kid. And, and every day it, it sort of fades a little bit to the point where I, I stop remembering dates. And there was a time that my wife and I knew so much medical jargon, and now I can't remember most of it, it's just, uh, <laughs> which, is, which feels like a huge... <laughs> It's a huge relief to be sort of back to the normal ignorance of your everyday uh, parent. Well, I, I want to ask you about your new album in a minute, but uh, in the meantime, we want to play a snippet here of uh, "When I Get Bald." And this song, uh, we've also we've also got the ability for folks to check out the video at LiveHappyNow.com. Let's take a listen to this right here. When I get bald. There I'll be Out in the world Flying free Walking around With my head held high When I get bald I won't be shy I might use my head 
Were those your bandmates in the chairs next to you uh, getting their head shaved in the video that we can see in the studio? Right, yeah. No, that's the general assumption. Uh, no, my bandmates, they were all too chicken. <laughs> I, but, but I have to give, I give one of them full credit because he act, I didn't actually know this until we were in the recording process, but he had experienced cancer as a young adult himself and had gone through the ball dance. So he didn't feel like he felt like he paid his dues on that front, and he was happy to let that go. So instead, I called on, um, I put the word out, and and some friends stepped up. And I I have to say that the friends that stepped up were the ones that were closest to being bald anyway. Uh, Just gonna finish that job. Including myself. Yeah, <laughs> we had the least to lose. For those for those of you who do check out the video. Alistair is getting his head shaved while singing When I Get Bald on the video. It, it's a, it's a quite a powerful and very cute video. It features his daughter as well. I recommend you go to livehappynow.com, and you'll see the link to the video there. I want to ask, too, you mentioned that uh, your daughter and you were the ones sitting there writing this song. What what role did, did your daughter play in, in writing the music? Yeah, she... Well, she, she played a big role. I mean, she was the inspiration for the songs, and she was young when we started writing the songs. You know, she was five when she was diagnosed um so it was a lot of sort of what should we write a song about uh let's write a song about a monkey and and so we did and it kind of went down that road but um you know as things progressed and we got to the video and then we got to performing and stuff it became a big question in our minds um how to deal with this especially as the press stuff came in um and so we did a lot of talking to her about what she wanted to be involved in, what she didn't. And her decision to be in the bald video, which was something that she wanted to do, was uh, was a big one. And, and you know, even, even with her kind of being all for it, we still struggled with it some. We kind of came down in the end. Whatever kind of sort of podium that put her on or whatever position that put her in, that, that, that the benefit that that she was choosing as a young kid, but still, you know, a human to, to sort of give a message to other kids was important. And that, and that it, you know, it wouldn't have the same impact just me doing it. Um, and it, you know, it's really, I, I hear from families all the time that their kids see her up on that screen and they're going through it or they're about to go through it and seeing her and those other kids in the video, who also put themselves in that position um, was inspiring to them. You know, it's scary for kids being bald or being different in any way. Um, so, and and in the end, it was, I have to say, it was a pretty transformative thing for her. She was a she was always an incredibly shy kid, and she started going up on stage with me and singing the bald song in front of audiences, sometimes large audiences, and she really embraced it. And she came out the other side um, 
and she still now she goes and performs in front of people. She does singing on her own, and uh, I don't know. It's pretty amazing. So it, yet another kind of unexpected transformation that came out of this thing. That's fantastic. So this was a few years ago, and 2013 yeah. is when the album was released, but obviously you didn't quit working then. So you released a new album called All Kinds of You and Me. Tell me a little bit about that album. You know, I, I felt kind of changed as a songwriter by by just singing our way through album. It, in some ways, it should have been the hardest album I ever made, but in, in some ways it felt um, like the most honest um it sort of did something that I've always tried to do, which is to get most in touch with, to, to be as honest as I can be about um, something and to kind of look around it, to kind of take something and turn it around and look at it from all different angles. And um, I, I wanted to keep going with that. I like the idea of having a, an, an album that had a full theme like that. And so the the new album is, is called All Kinds of You and Me. And it was inspired by one of my favorite albums growing up, uh, Free to Be You and Me was an album that dealt with uh, changing gender roles in America and all that stuff, and and I felt like it could use an update. I, I still love the album, and I love I learned so much from it about how to sort of deal with serious issues with kids and how to make sure that the music comes first before any sort of messaging and 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 that you can mix serious stuff with humor and all that stuff and. Um, it's still a wonderful album, but but I felt like there were things that have continued to move on and change in America and and maybe need to continue to move on and change and that I wanted to deal with. So it, it kind of takes a look at, at gender, but also kind of orientation and, um, and all of that stuff. And, you know, right down to the sort of pink and blue kind of things that that loom really large over kids, this this kind of being put in a box yeah. from the moment yeah. you come out. Sure. Yeah, I have a, I have a, <clears throat> certainly relate to that. I have a, you know, a son and two daughters, and immediately it's almost like every girl, her favorite color has to be pink. And my two daughters argued about whose favorite color could be pink because that's a requirement. <laughs> you know, and, and now it, it is. And now one of them's like, no, it's, and, and, no, it's green. And it's really hard as a parent to negotiate because um, some of that is. You know, some of that is kids choosing what they want and, and sort of denying them that and saying, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to be into princesses and you don't want to be in the pink because that's sort of what you're supposed to. You know, it, some kids are really into pink and princesses and sure. who are girls and some boys are really into football and trucks and that's fine. But some kids aren't. And, it's, it, and so to me, it's important both to advocate for those kids who don't feel like they fit in the box, but... I think even more importantly to advocate on behalf of everybody, the idea that um, giving people freedom of choice is important, not just for them, but it's important for us. I mean, that's what it is to be open and to be tolerant and to understand other people. It shouldn't be a message just for kids, but, you know, it's not a bad place to start. Oh, certainly, for sure. Well, it sounded like uh, in the background the kids are uh, getting antsy. They want to hang out, maybe write a few more songs. We don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, <laughs> where can folks uh, find these uh, these fine albums that you have produced? Uh, MookMusic.com 
It's uh, M-O-O-C-K. We'll put a link to that on uh, the Live Happy Now webpage. Yeah. I want to say this because Alistair is in our chapter on meaning in, in the new Live Happy book, and really because the story in the book is about him finding his purpose in life, what he does. If you couldn't tell from listening to him, he really enjoys what he's doing, and he's passionate about it, and it's always great to spend time with people who are passionate about what they do. Thank you so much for your time, Alistair. No, thanks for having me. If you'd like to see a video of Alistair's song, When I Get Bald, visit livehappynow.com. Also, receive an exclusive offer when you pre-order Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy at livehappy.com slash pre-order. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If there is something you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Find us on Twitter at livehappy or at facebook.com slash livehappy or by searching on Instagram for mylivehappy or just send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. For Alistair Mook and Deborah Heiss, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, thank you, and remember to always live happy.